Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to Episode 9 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast. Concluding our exploration of the role that emotions play in how we respond to crisis, the focus of today's podcast is frustration versus equanimity. Though fear, which I focused on in my last podcast, is the most immediate and powerful emotion that's triggered by a crisis, it's certainly not the only emotional experience that can be unproductive and, well, unpleasant. If you become overwhelmed with a crisis mentality and are unable to break free of its grip, the visceral fear you feel is only the beginning of a cascade of destructive emotions that will increasingly interfere with your ability to respond constructively to the crisis. These feelings may ultimately render you helpless as the crisis engulfs you, which is why creating distance from the fear is so important. The second emotion you're likely to experience if you're unable to resolve the crisis readily is frustration. As you'll soon learn, frustration has some benefits, but it also has some very significant liabilities, particularly in response to modern-day crises. Thankfully, we've evolved a counterbalancing emotion that you can tap into when frustration rears its ugly head. That emotion is equanimity. Let's first explore frustration. We've all experienced the feeling of frustration in our lives when we feel our efforts are not producing the results we want. We feel stuck, we get stressed, and we feel helpless. The best way I can describe the feeling is, Arrgh! It's a truly infuriating feeling. And when felt in the context of a crisis, where the impact and consequences are amplified exponentially, the experience is much more uncomfortable, much more destructive, and, well, much more frustrating. Despite our shared intuitive familiarity with frustration, being able to clearly articulate what it is and what has caused it is another question altogether. Think of a crisis as a massive obstacle in the path of your survival and thrival. Yes, thrival is actually a word. And you're not able to easily clear that path in a timely manner. Frustration is born out of a loss of control and a feeling of helplessness. I'm in this situation and I can't get out. Simply put, frustration arises when the path toward your goals is blocked. Most people think of frustration as a bad emotion, but it's actually much more complex than that. The fact is that frustration, like fear, is hardwired into us and serves to help us survive. Frustration actually starts out as a good emotion because it motivates us to remove the obstacle that's blocking our path toward our goals. We try harder, and that extra effort often results in clearing that path, enabling us to continue our journey toward our goals. Now let's go back again to early humans. A caveman needs to hunt and kill game for his family to survive. If he's one of the unlucky cavemen with whom frustration didn't evolve, this caveman would throw his spear at his prey a few times, and if he missed, would give up and just go home. His family would starve, die, and they wouldn't pass their genes on to future generations. In contrast, if another caveman was fortunate enough to have frustration in his DNA, he might miss his target a few times, get frustrated, and redouble his efforts until he killed some game. The happy ending? He feeds his family and they survive and strengthen the human gene pool. If only life were as simple today. Yes, in the face of a crisis, frustration can start out as a helpful emotion, causing you to intensify your efforts to overcome the crisis. At the same time, crises these days have attributes that make frustration largely ineffective. Because of the magnitude, complexity, and oftentimes amorphous nature of many of today's crises that I've talked about before, our instinctive efforts to remove the obstacle in our path or minimize their damage will have little effect on resolving the crisis, which only will cause more frustration. Despite your best efforts, if you can't overcome the roadblocks that the crisis presented to you, frustration can become a truly destructive emotion as it impels you to continue to do the same thing, only more frequently and harder. And in doing so, you violate Albert Einstein's law of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, 
and expecting different results. So if you're unable to clear that block path, frustration becomes just the first link in what I call the negative emotional chain, in which the frustration you experience morphs into other emotions that further impede your ability to overcome the crisis you're faced with. The farther along the negative emotional chain you go, the more your amygdala and its associated emotions overwhelm and take control of you and prevent you from mustering a constructive response to the crisis. If your frustration isn't dealt with quickly and effectively, it can shift to the next emotion in the negative emotional chain. That emotion is anger. Now, most people believe that anger is also a bad emotion because it certainly doesn't feel good and it often seems to do more harm than good in most situations. But, like frustration, it has both positive and negative aspects. Anger starts out as actually being quite helpful because it's motivating. Let's return to our primitive roots. Responding with anger when faced with a threat was hardwired into us, the purpose of which was to cause us to fight ferociously and overcome the source of the threat, usually a rival tribesman or perhaps a vicious animal. Even today, anger causes us to want to go after the thing that's causing our anger, whether it's a punitive boss, a former love interest, or a new and seemingly unfair tax law. Unfortunately, for most crises these days, anger swiftly becomes a harmful emotion. For example, it can result in verbally berating or physically attacking the source of your anger. It doesn't do much good to yell at Congress or cancer, and you can't beat up the stock market. Given that the source of the anger has changed dramatically since prehistoric times, our instinctive response of anger doesn't prove to be much help in resolving modern-day crises. Because most crises today require deliberate thought rather than instinctive action, Anger has a particularly detrimental impact on our crisis psychology. Yes, anger can motivate you to address the crisis, but how that motivation is expressed is no longer useful. Like frustration, anger tends to cause us to do whatever we were doing before with more intensity. Now, back in caveman days, that meant we would fight more forcefully or run faster and farther. But most crises these days are far too complicated for a reaction driven by anger to work effectively. Additionally, a more of the same approach just won't work for crises that typically demand that we do something differently than we do under normal conditions. Furthermore, focus narrows and we become inflexible in our thinking when we become angry. This reaction was adaptive to our ancestors because crises tended to be singular and immediate in nature, and this response ensured that we directed all of our attention to the threat. Crises today, though, are often multifaceted and require a broad focus and agile thinking that involves paying attention to and processing many cues simultaneously. For example, when confronted with a health crisis, missing one or two important pieces of information in relation to a diagnosis, the prognosis, or possible treatment plan because of an overly narrow focus or rigid thinking could mean the difference between crisis worsened or crisis averted. Additionally, as we all know, our thinking tends to become clouded when we're angry. This means our ability to analyze, interpret, problem-solve, and make good decisions diminishes, which are all essential processes to effectively confront contemporary crises. These changes that once benefited the fight-or-flight reaction are decidedly unsuited for the crises we experience today. More importantly, these changes are actually counterproductive to a beneficial response to current crises. From Confucius, the Chinese teacher and philosopher, when anger arises, think of the consequences. If you're not able to overcome the crisis you're confronted with by this point, your emotions may shift to the final crisis emotion in the negative emotional chain. That emotion is despair. You've tried and tried and tried and still can't resolve the crisis to your satisfaction. At this point, the natural desire is to want to quit. What's the point of continuing to try if nothing you do works? 
For primitive ancestors and their modern-day counterparts alike, despair is not a good emotion when faced with a crisis. For our forebears, despair led to surrender, which was usually followed closely by death. Despair these days leads to giving up and the loss of any opportunity to overcome the challenges of the crisis. In some cases, this can mean death as well. For example, research found that more than 10,000 suicides can be attributed to the Great Recession of the late 2000s. And suicide is the ultimate outcome of despair. At the heart of despair is a sense of futility or defeat and a loss of hope, which is in sharp contrast to the experiences of fear, frustration, and anger. These first three crisis emotions involved a marked increase in physical activation and mental acuity aimed at complete mobilization of all the available resources in response to the crisis. In contrast, despair is associated with physical changes related to surrender, including a depressed mood, significantly lower physiological activity, and feelings of lethargy. The psychological and cognitive shifts of despair include a dramatic decline in motivation, confidence, and focus, as well as a diminished desire or capacity for assessment, analysis, judgment, and decision-making. In other words, everything that mobilizes you to action in a crisis disappears, which pretty much guarantees that you will fall prey to whatever crisis you're facing. My experience has shown that if you proceed down the negative emotional chain, from frustration to anger to despair, the crisis will likely consume you, or at the very least, significantly slow your constructive response to the crisis. Now let's talk about equanimity. Now, equanimity is one of those personal qualities that, like self-possession that I talked about in a previous podcast, we all admire in others and we wish we had, particularly in a crisis. Equanimity is defined as mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Boy, does that sound like the right medicine when confronted with a crisis? I think so. As with most personality attributes, there is likely an innate temperamental component to equanimity. Some people are just born to be more equanimous, yes, that is a word, than others when faced with crises. At the same time, as I've emphasized throughout crisis to opportunity, beneficial traits such as equanimity can also be developed. Plus, equanimity isn't just a quality you possess or a feeling you have. It's a course of action that you take in response to a crisis. Now, I can't magically bestow on you the quality of equanimity, but I can describe how you can act to develop equanimity. And in acting with equanimity, you become equanimous. Despite the powerful impact that the negative emotional chain can have in our daily lives, much less in a crisis, most of us were never taught how to deal with our frustration, anger, and despair in constructive ways. You may have figured it out on your own, but most people don't handle frustration well at all. Responding to crises with equanimity involves learning to stop the negative emotional chain at frustration by responding positively to it when it first arises. Here are several clear steps you can take. First, Take a break. When frustration first arises, you should take a break from the situation that's causing the frustration. By doing so, you create physical distance from the source of the frustration. And that distance also results in emotional distance in which the frustration naturally diminishes because you're not in the situation causing the frustration. As part of taking a break, there are also two more useful steps you can take. First, as I noted above, frustration causes an increase in physiological intensity, including muscle tension, and choppy breathing, and an increase in, in adrenaline. To relieve these unpleasant symptoms of frustration, you want to change your physiology by taking some deep breaths and relaxing your muscles. Second, you can do something during the break that creates emotions that are the exact opposite of frustration. For example, listen to music, have fun, or talk to friends, all of which create a set of emotions such as excitement, joy, happiness, fun, that counteract the negative emotion of frustration. 
This step lessens the uncomfortable physical symptoms that accompany frustration and generates, as I just mentioned, emotions such as happiness and fun that can counteract the feelings of frustration, thus reducing its influence on you. Another great way to counter the feelings of frustration when you take a break from training is to do something at which you can succeed that is something you're good at. So, for example, if you find yourself stuck as you address some aspect of the crisis, turn your attention onto something that you're actually good at and is within your control, thus feeding your feelings of confidence and generating more positive emotions, such as pride and hope. Finally, when you get frustrated, it can be helpful to have a snack or something to drink. Hunger and thirst can contribute to vulnerability to frustration because your body is in a weakened and needy state. Refueling can give you the energy you need to resist the pull of frustration and help you perform better, thus making it less likely that frustration will arise again. Once you've taken a break and gotten some physical and emotional distance from the crisis, that is the source of the frustration, the next step is to gain perspective. Having an unrealistic perspective on the crisis and your reaction to it can absolutely set you up for frustration even before you get started and exacerbate your susceptibility to frustration after you've begun. This perspective revolves around the belief that you can reach your goals, that is, overcome the crisis, quickly and easily. Unfortunately, that's simply not how things usually work in a crisis. To prevent this self-fulfilling prophecy from occurring, you can use what I call the three P's to help you gain perspective. Patience, persistence, and perseverance. When you begin to experience frustration as you confront the crisis, you can remind yourself that progress toward resolution of the crisis takes time and that you should hang in there no matter how it goes. You can also commit to persisting for as long as it takes and persevering through the inevitable ups and downs you'll experience as you pursue a resolution to a crisis. This long-term perspective may not remove your frustration completely, but it will certainly help you turn the volume down to lessen it allowing you to more easily take the additional steps I recommend before returning to the source of the frustration. You can also look at your confrontation with frustration as an opportunity to become tougher and more resilient. In other words, to grow from the experience, to get something positive out of it. The reality is that resolving a crisis is a frustrating process because it's long and difficult with many setbacks and failures. Experiencing frustration gives you a great opportunity to embrace the frustration and learn how to deal with it in a positive and constructive way. You can think about frustration as emotional adversity. When you allow yourself to be exposed to it and then learn how to respond positively to it, you become a better person, more capable of dealing constructively with this emotional adversity in the future. And when we talk about emotional adversity, crises have a lot of it. From Napoleon Hill, the American author, patience, persistence, and perspiration make an unbeatable combination for success. Once you step back, taking a break, and gain some perspective, now it's time to identify the cause of the frustration. At this point, you'll have relieved yourself of most of the physical, psychological, and emotional expressions of frustration, but you're still not ready to return to confront the cause of the frustration because that cause is still there. And if you re-engage with it now, you'd simply become more frustrated again. The next step then is to identify the cause of your frustration. If you can understand the specific problem within the overall crisis, that is what produced your frustration, then you have the opportunity to find a solution, and in doing so, can remove the obstacle that originally led to your frustration. So ask yourself, what is the specific issue causing your frustration as you address the crisis? Once you've identified the cause of your frustration, the next step is to find a solution. So, with the cause of the frustration identified, you're now only one step away from being able to return to the situation that was causing your frustration in the first place you're now in a position to find a solution. Sometimes the solution is obvious and easy to put into action. 
Other times, as is often the case in a crisis, it's too big to act on. In this case, it can be useful to break down the bigger problem, the bigger cause of the frustration, into smaller, more manageable problems. Also, if you can't figure out the cause of your frustration yourself, ask for help from others who can. Finally, if all else fails, the reality is that you can't always immediately clear the obstacles to your goals in a crisis. So continued efforts in pursuit of those goals on any given day would be futile, discouraging, and yes, frustrating. The barriers may simply be just too great to surmount on that day. If you feel as if you've exhausted every resource you have to remove the barriers, you have two options. First, you can change your goals to ones that you feel capable of striving for and achieving that day. For example, you can shift your focus from one area of the crisis to another one where you believe you can make some progress. Second, there are simply going to be days when you just aren't going to make any progress toward your goals in a crisis. And continuing to try without success will just discourage you and cause more frustration and actually hurt your efforts in the long run. In this case, it may be wise to simply, quote unquote, give up and choose to fight another day. If you choose this path, and this should be your path of last resort, then go do something that's productive, whatever it might be that will help you ultimately achieve your goals related to the crisis. From Anne Lamott, the political activist and author, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including yourself. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 9 of Crisis to Opportunity, and be on the lookout for Episode 10 in the near future.